Thank you for listening to the Life Church of Kansas City, Missouri. Consider supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com, subscribing, and sharing this message with your friends. God bless you. I want to turn your attention to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2, and I'm going to jump to verse 8, just in the interest of time. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 8. Elijah took his mantle, he rolled it up, and he struck the water. And it was divided this way and that. So that the two of them, which would be Elijah and Elisha, his protege, his understudy, the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? Elisha was told three times that day, today's the day. Three different schools of the prophets said today's the day that he's going to be taken up. And so Elijah knew it. Elisha knew it. Elisha, what is your last request before I'm taken from you? Elisha was so wise. I love his bold humility. Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you don't see me, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Isn't this stuff cool? This is our heritage. This is who we are. We're chariots and horses of fire. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. He went up in a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. Turn to somebody and say, he saw it. So that means a double portion is coming. He cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. He saw him no more. He took a hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces, which was an expression of grief and sorrow. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. And went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. And struck the water just like he'd watched his mentor do. He said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that. And Elisha crossed over. So on the heels of passing the mantle, I'm compelled of the Lord to present to you a message I would entitle, The Mantle Has Been Passed. And the tagline is, Pick up the mantle and go do something with it. (laughs) The mantle has been passed, so go pick it up and do something with it. Amen. And you may be seated. For the benefit of some of our newer members and, of course, all of our guests, I have to say that We've been privileged to serve the Life Church now for 
over 33 years. And in the early 90s, as a young pastor, I was pursuing and hungry for all things apostolic. Fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, gifts, the supernatural, healings of the mind, the soul, the body. Just hungry for God, just and looking for someone to help me go, to help me get there. And so in 1993, my wife and I were at the Missouri camp meeting. It was in Bridgeton at uh, New Life Church. And I'll never forget standing in the back, at the, the back of the sanctuary at the end of one of the services. Brother Stone King, Lee Stone King, was the guest evangelist. And we waited probably for over an hour to speak with him. There wasn't anybody else, as I recall, in the building, just the three of us. I said, Brother Stone King, I've waited a long time to talk to you today. I said, my name is Stan Gleason. He goes, yes, boy, I know who you are. I said, well, I wasn't sure because we haven't had a conversation since probably I was seven or eight years old and you were in Bible college. And I distinctly remember you. Yes, I remember you. And he went on, my dad was the greatest Christian he ever knew. He's told me that, if he's told me it once, he's told me that a hundred times. And uh, so we reconnected and I just told him what I was hungry for and, and I wanted him to come and preach in our church. And I didn't just want him to come and preach to you though, I wanted him in my home. I wanted to go to lunch with him. I wanted to go to coffee with him. I wanted to have prayer meetings with him. I wanted him to pray over my children, over my family and I wanted the blessing of the prophet in my house, if I can just be, give you full disclosure. Amen. You see, when, when preachers come, you see them for two hours, but I'm with them for three or four or five days. And it's fellowship and it's camaraderie and it's partnership. And, and I would say, and I think my children would say that they never felt one day that, you know, a lot of pastors' children feel like and pastors feel like that the ministry is hazardous to their family. And I don't think I could ever say that about my family. And I don't think my children would say that today. We've protected them. We've tried to be normal. And a lot of that go is credited to you for not putting undue necessary and unnecessary expectations on our family. And thank you for helping me raise my children and now grandchildren. We thank the Lord for that. But just to have that connection. And so... Brother Stone King, I told him I wanted him to come and preach. He said, I'll put you on my list. I'm like, all right. So I made the list. So the next year I see him at a conference somewhere and I said, Brother Stone King, am I still on the list? He said, yes, boy, you're there. Two years go by. Am I on the list? Yes. Three years. Am I on the list? Yes. Four years. Am I on the list? Yes. And you're moving up. And I'm like, yeah. And he called me in about two months and he said he had an open weekend. And so we started talking about it. It was in October. You ever wondered why passing the mantles in October? Now you know. And it was the last weekend of October. And uh, I said, Brother Stone King, here's what I want to do. I want to focus this meeting for the next generation. I want to make room for young people to experiment with the apostolic. I want to make room for 
callings and giftings. And I want to create an atmosphere where young people can be called into the ministry and where they can experiment with the supernatural and they can come under the anointing of a great man like yourself. And I'm just talking about this. And I said, what, what should we call it? What, 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 are, what are we going to do with this? He said, let's do something with the word mantle. Now, you know where that came from. And so for several years, it was the Mantle Conference. But for those of you who are not very susceptible to change, it's no longer the Mantle Conference. It is now passing the Mantle Conference. And that says a lot more than just the Mantle Conference. It says what it's about, what we're trying to accomplish. And I pray that the Mantle, at least in your life, has been passed. Can you say amen? amen. So... When Brother Stone King was talking to us on Saturday morning, just for about 10 or 15 minutes, did you hear these words come out of his mouth? The mantle has been passed. I was listening. He said it. And that was a confirmation of what had happened five years ago when it was the first year he could not be here because of a health situation and Brother Brian Lane, who was here Saturday, uh, Friday night and Saturday morning, was on his way to this conference. And if those of you who are here will remember, we prevailed on him to carry the ball for passing the mantle. And I'm going to tell you something. It was powerful. It was absolutely amazing. I was like in Holy Ghost shock. I didn't really know Brother Lane that well, but we had preached in his church and I'd heard him preach, but something went to a new level and God blessed it. And the Lord spoke to me that year, five years ago, and said, the mantle has been passed. And so now we have confirmation from the visionary and the anchor speaker. Now, I just got to tell you, I don't know if you realize how significant Lee Stone King is to the Life Church. I'm not sure if you really capture uh, how important his voice is, because I can tell you that when preachers fly into Kansas City and people who are led by the Spirit, invariably they will say something to me. I don't ask them questions. I don't say, well, what do you hear, see, and feel when you landed? But most of them will say, in fact, recently one person said to me, you know, I fly into major cities all over America, and when I land, I feel spiritual resistance. Now, for you, if you fly in and you're not led by the Spirit, you may not notice the difference. But if you're tuned into the Spirit world, the people who are know. And so they said, when we landed in Kansas City, it was amazing. We felt peace. We felt liberty. We felt like we could move forward. Now, look, we can't take any credit for that. We give God all the glory for that. But I think you have something to do with it. And I think the Life Church has something to do with it. And every other church, amen, that loves God and preaches truth and has a prayer team has something to do with this. And Lee Stone King, and he's 81 years old. And I don't know if he'll ever be back here. I really don't know. I hope so. But if he said the mantle's been passed, that may be an indication to us that he will never be back here. But I'll tell you what happened Saturday night. I was feeling like, I thought, man, it feels just like Brother Stone King's here. It feels just like he's here. No sooner did that thought cross my mind and Josh Herring walked up to me and he said, it feels just like Lee Stone King. He said, I bet his angel is here. I talked to Brother Stone King this week. I told him that. He said, yes, boy, I sent it. I can feel it when it leaves. 
I mean, I don't know anybody else I can have a conversation with about that. And I don't understand all of that stuff, okay? I don't see angels. I don't feel angels. Some of you do, and I believe in it, and I thank God for it. All I know is how significant he is, and he blessed us. In fact, we're sending him an offering this week, even though he wasn't here. We're going to bless the elder and thank God. Are you thankful, amen, for our prophet? Are you thankful for a covering? I'm submitted to him. If you want to know who I answer to, he's one of them. And my pastor is my brother, Gary Gleason, who's 10 years older than me, that I talk to almost every week, and he has veto power, and he uses it. And I don't make a decision of any magnitude without talking to my pastor. David Bernard is my bishop by virtue of my office that I hold in our organization. And John Grant is my apostle. And he called me just about two months ago. I usually call him, but he called me. And I feel safe. And you should feel safe. Amen. To know that your pastor is accountable to somebody who answers to somebody. I'll tell you something else. I answer to the board of directors of this church. I'm submitted to them. We work together. As a team. And so I thank God for all the pieces that are in place. And that means that we're safe, we're on solid ground, and the Lord is with us. But I think we ought to just lift our hands and thank God for passing the mantle one more time. And whatever God spoke to you, thank him for it. And however he helped you, thank him for it. And whatever he put into your life, thank him for it. If he passed the mantle to you, amen, then pick it up and go do something with it. Come on, let your voice out right now and just seal it and thank God for it. We should cherish it. We should cherish those moments together. Hallelujah. Come on, one more time, just a burst of thanksgiving. Hallelujah. So if the mantle has been passed, then we need to talk about that. What do you do with it? What does that mean? What does it look like? What does it feel like? So let's have a conversation. I think it's every honorable parent's desire and duty to transfer their values and their beliefs and their family culture and their family stories and their belief system into their children and the next generation. And while I'm on that subject, pray for our associate pastor and his wife, Anna, she's going to deliver by the grace of God on Friday. And so we're excited and we celebrate life. Amen. And I was, as I was walking the congregation this morning, I heard reports of other babies that are coming. So that's exciting. More than one way to grow a church, praise the Lord. And so every parent wants to see their, what they believe rise up in their children. That's a parental instinct. Any parent that doesn't have that, come and see me. <laughs> yeah, you want that. If, if you're a carpenter, sir, you want to teach that child, a tra- that man, a, that young boy a trade or the, or the young lady. If you're an accountant or CPA or a doctor, 
It's going to come natural. You're going to talk about doctor stuff. You're going to talk about carpenter stuff. It's going to be in the family culture. You want to transfer it. And the same goes for values of faith and values of the word of God. And I'm going to quote Dr. James Dobson again, who said, you don't know if you successfully transferred your values to your children until you see your grandchildren. And that's always an interesting revelation. And so the apostolic family wants to raise their children in such a way that the children will love what the parents love. And the children will believe what the parents believe. This is what God spoke in the Pentateuch, you know, 2,500 years ago in Moses. Moses, the things that I've shared with you and I've commanded you, you teach them to your children. When you get up in the morning, when you put them to bed at night, every once in a while, my daughter-in-law or my daughter will send me a video of the grandkids quoting scriptures. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Except Rosemary, the one and a half year old, got a little confused and Marissa was feeding her lines of the scripture, one thing have I desired and that will I, and she's mumbling something, to behold the beauty of, and she said, mama. (laughs) I had to, you know, sort of brush up on that one a little bit. But learning those scriptures and, and Loving God's house and loving the ministry and loving the people of God. And Proverbs says that parents should train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. That is not a promise. That the Proverbs are not prophetic promises. They are generally true statements. And God knows you can have the best parent in the world and do the best job that any parent has ever done. And children have to make up their own minds about their future. So I don't want any parent to go on a guilt trip today if your child has disappointed your faith or your expectation in some way. That's what prayer is for. And that's what loving them unconditionally is for. And that's what the kingdom of God is all about. Amen. But what a joy it is to pass a mantle of faith. You know, we pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, I'm adding two names to that. I pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Turner, and Wendell. That's my dad and my grandfather. Everybody all right with that? They're not in the Bible, but they ought to be. I pray to them. Sometimes I lift my hands. I pray the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Turner, and Wendell. What am I saying? I'm saying there's been a seamless transition. I'm saying that there's not a dime's worth of difference of what Abraham believed about God and what I believe about God. About what Turner Gleason, who was born in 1871, just a few years after the Civil War was over, amen. I believe what he believed. I'm filled with the same Holy Ghost. I love the same God. I raised my kids the way he raised his kids. All eight of his children died in the faith, hallelujah. I want my children and my grandchildren to die in the faith, hallelujah. If the Lord tarries, That's what I'm talking about. A seamless transition from one generation to the next. Not every generational passing of the mantle is successful. In the years 2000, 2004, 2008, and 2012, the ladies 
400-meter relay Olympic team was heavily favored to win. They were faster as individuals in time trials than any other competition, which made them the fastest team. But in those three years, they lost the race. Here's why. They were sloppy in 2000, coming into the exchange of the baton. They lost to the Bahamas and Jamaica. They came in third. 2004, Marion Jones went to hand off to Lauren Williams. She slowed down because of fatigue. And the time that she lost in the passing of the baton in the exchange zone, by that time it was too long and they were disqualified. In 2012, they also messed up in the handoff zone when Lauren Williams dropped the baton. But the next year, in the Olympic Games in London, USA's women's team again was heavily favored, and this time they had three flawless exchanges in the handoff zone, and they broke a 20-year record, and they won the gold. So here's what I'm saying. We appear to be in a handoff zone. And I'm really preaching to everybody here. I'm not just focusing on this group right here in the first few rows or some of our teen, youth are over here. And over here I see some. And, and everywhere, they're everywhere. My Lord, they're everywhere. Praise God. Amen. I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to my wife. I'm preaching to my family. And I'm preaching to you today. We are in a strategic moment now. The mantle has been passed and, and, and somebody has handed off to somebody. And I don't know if you know it or not, but there should be a change in you. Amen. There should be a change since passing the mantle. If you came under that authority, if you came under that anointing, something should be different in your prayer. Something should be different in your worship time. Something should be more alert when you get out the Bible or when you're out in the, in the, in the public. There should be a different feel. I can tell you because I know, amen, what's happened to me in moments of transition in seasons of change in my life when I know that something is different. Am I preaching to anybody here today that knows what I'm talking about? <laughs> Praise God. I want to just do a quick cursory look at the handoff zone in the Bible. Dr. Mike was awesome today in adult class, just amazing. And I told him, I said, if your lips are moving, I'm listening. Because he is almost achieved his second doctorate. Not bad. One in dentistry and now this one in history. And, and we need to review history because... Who was it, Dr. Mike, that said, if we don't study history, we're destined to repeat it? Was it Winston Churchill or somebody like that? Wasn't him. Okay, I'll see you later. You give me that quote. <laughs> but I, I will give you a quote. Charles de Gaulle said, People, people's history is not left to fate. He said, people get the history they deserve. Because they've been working a long time on it. So look at these handoff zones in the scripture. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
It could have been Abraham, Isaac, Esau. One of our speakers last weekend said, made that statement. What was the deal with Esau? He was the firstborn. He was in line. <laughs> Just because you're in line doesn't mean you get it. Just because you're the next in line doesn't mean it's going to happen. Because Esau was profane. That's the word that King James uses. That means he was worldly. He, he intentionally went and took a wife of a tribe that his parents ruled out of bounds. So he was rebellious to spiritual authority. He was a man of the field, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's, it's just sort of telling us that he was all up into, you know, hunting and fishing and didn't have any time for God. And so I won't rehearse the message. It was preached powerfully last weekend. He despised his birthright. He rejected and, and, and sold his birthright and lost the blessing of God. And so God may not have agreed with Jacob's tactics, but he agreed with the results. And Jacob didn't believe he could get anything honest from God. He thought he had to resort to chicanery and smoke and mirrors and deception and acted like he was his brother and lied to his dad. But, you know, I'm not excusing that. And that, that, there's, a, there's a message for, for all of us today. Thank God. If God can say, I love Jacob, then he can love you. Amen. If God can love a liar and a cheat and a thief and a usurper, but yet his heart somewhere was in the right place and he was hungry for the things of God, that's the desire we want to see supersede all other desires. Hallelujah. And if there's hope for Jacob, there's hope for you and me. If you are a second or third generation apostolic believer and you don't want it, God will pass you by and give it to somebody else that is hungry for it. There are men that I know who are my generation who were raised by great apostolic leaders, but they didn't want the mantle and they walked away from truth and they walked away from relationship and they sold their birthright and their blessing for a mess of pottage. And God gave it to somebody else. <laughs> I want it. I want it. If you don't want that mantle, I'm going to grab it. Hallelujah. If you don't want that blessing of God, I'm going after it. Praise God. I'm not, I'm not going to be, amen, I'm not going to be generous when it comes to the mantle. I want it. Anything that God has for me is for me. I'm going after it. Hallelujah. I want the miracles. I want the signs. I want the wonders. I want to see God reach this world. I'm going after it. I want it. I was preaching. You may be seen. I was preaching in South Bend, Indiana years ago. And an 80-some-year-old man walked up to me. I said, I'm Stan Gleason. I'm the guest speaker today. What's your name? He told me his name. And then he said, and I'm after it. I thought, I love that. This 80-year-old guy, first thing he tells me, I'm after it. Well, I may be with Brother Paul Shaw and my walker. Praise God. And now his wife's got a walker. They're the walker twins, I told him last week. Thank God she, she made it out of recovery. Praise God. Amen. Brother Paul, I'm going to get my walker up to next year. Walker, I'm going to say, I'm after it. Praise God. 
I still want it. Hallelujah. You never graduate. You never mature out of a hunger for God. You never get to some place where you say, well, I've got all that now. I've done all that. Oh, no. Hallelujah. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. He said, I was young, and now I'm old, and I'm still going after it. Ha <laughs> ha! Man, I feel that passing the mantle spirit here today. Moses orchestrated a successful transition to his protege, Yeshua, Joshua. But in the third generation, who was Joshua developing? Who was Joshua mentoring? Moses mentored him. He invited him everywhere. Come up the mountain. Come into the prayer tent. Joshua was there. Who's Joshua working with? Huh? The third generation is the strategic generation. Abraham, Isaac, Esau. Moses, Joshua. And then the Bible says one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, Judges chapter 2, verse 10. And after Joshua and all his generation were gathered to their fathers, there arose a generation that knew not the Lord nor the works in Israel which he had done. Let me tell you something. I'm 64. I've been around long enough that I've seen some of the greatest names in all of Pentecost that their names are not celebrated anymore because somebody didn't pass the mantle or somebody didn't pick up the mantle or somebody disrespected the mantle. And I made up my mind. Amen. Now, I'm, I'm, I don't believe in blue bloods, okay? Don't anybody get this idea that I'm preaching about elitism. But why would you not want to pass the mantle? Why would you not want the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh? Up to a thousand generations. Amen. See God bless and use that family. I'm not going to apologize for raising prophets and teachers in my home. I'm not going to feel bad. Amen. I'm not going to feel bad about raising up intercessors and prayer warriors. Why wouldn't you want that? Oh, hallelujah. And I want that for you. I want that for your children. Eli's sons. He's the high priest. They're a joke. Hophni and Phinehas. I don't know how that happened. Samuel's sons. Rejected by Israel. Men that did not have biblical character. That's, I, again, I don't have explanations for that. But David was purposeful in passing his scepter to Solomon. And Solomon, under his leadership, the nation of Israel rose to its greatest heights and its greatest influence. And the kingdom was united for 40 years. But Solomon messed up. And the kingdom goes to his son, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam is a spoiled brat. And he doesn't listen to the elders. He resonates his decisions only with his generation. And let me tell you something about, and Brother Caleb Herring whacked social media sufficiently on Wednesday night. I don't know that I need to go back there. But let me tell you one of the things about social media is that it limits intergenerational communication. Amen. If that's the only place where you're resonating and communicating, you're probably not getting the whole story. Amen. Don't just resonate with your generation. That's what Rehoboam did. He, he talked to the elders and the, and the elders said, stay the course and, and the path that's been set for you is a good path. And, and his, and, and his 
his generation said, no, you need to be tougher. You need to be harder. You need to crack the whip. You need to show them who's boss. And, you know, and, and so he rejected the counsel of the elders and he listened to the counsel of the, and the kingdom divided. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. We're talking about the handoff zone. We're talking about that, 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 that place where the baton, I need your baton, Darrell and Jessica, that I gave them when they got married. They sent me a picture of it. I always try to give a couple a gift on their wedding if I'm performing it. And I gave them this, <laughs> I gave them this baton and I said, let this baton represent that you will always have successful seasons of transition in your marriage because they're both athletic, see? I have a double-digit IQ. I can figure that stuff out <laughs> and what connects. And they sent me a picture this week. I said, now, don't put this on your mantle. What did they do? They bought a stand. They got it on the mantle. It's like, you know, most people have a big screen, but they got the baton, you know. And the... I'm honored. Yeah. It's the handoff zone. So here's, now, now we get to the text. And Elijah has seven major miracles. He's got one hand on heaven's water faucet. I'll turn the water around, I'll turn it off. Just deal with it, Ahab. He's got his other hand on heaven's flamethrower. Seven major miracles. And Elisha has seen it. And he's, he's captured the history of it and, and, the, and the aura of it. And, and Elijah, and there's going to come a moment when, when you'll have that prayer moment. Listen to me. If I was a young person and there, some altar call somewhere, I'm going to go find somebody with hair my color. I want to go find somebody that's got some seasoning and some, and some history and, and some years of walking with God. And I want to say, you know what? I admire you. I respect you. I, I believe in you. We've, we've not really developed much of a relationship, but would you lay hands on me and would you pray for me? I know what happens in those moments. Amen. You never know. There might be a senior in this congregation that is waiting, amen, for Elijah, Elisha to come and say, I want a double portion of your spirit. Are you going to be a one and done? Are you going to go to your grave without your fingerprints on anybody's life? Or do you have something to give? And do you have an anointing to share and to pass to the next generation? I made up my mind. I'm not leaving this world until I give everything I've got until there's a transfer. Woo. Elijah Seven major miracles. Elisha, 14 major miracles. I don't know. Maybe Gehazi should have been Elisha's successor. And we heard Gehazi sufficiently <laughs> dealt with last weekend. Maybe, maybe Gehazi was the guy, but he didn't get it. He, he had his eyes on, on wealth and prestige and position and prosperity. And he went after Naaman and, and then himself. He died a leper. And there was no transition. That generation missed 28 major miracles. Elijah had seven. 
Elijah had 14, and they missed 28 major miracles. Maybe a famine could have been averted and somebody would have turned the water back on. Amen. Maybe the judgment of God could have fell and somebody needed to turn the fire back on. Amen. But somebody didn't get it. And I'm preaching now, amen, to any generation that's younger than me. If whatever we have in this church, whatever we have in the apostolic church, you can have it if you want it. But you can't play around. You can't just pretend. You can't just sit on the sideline and hope that it happens. You've got to get up and cross that river with Elijah and say, I've seen you, I've watched you, I've inspected you, you're a man of integrity, you've got something, you've got something special, I'm not going to let that die, I know that you're ready to leave, but I not only want what you've got, but I want twice of what you've got, and I'm telling you that's how the kingdom of God works, one generation never decreases from the next generation, but the next generation always has a double portion blessing. When I was 39 years old, my dad was about a few months from passing away. And he looked at me and he said, son, you have exceeded me. You don't want to hear that from an awesome man like that. And you worship the ground he walks on. That wasn't true then and it will never be true. But what he was doing, he was passing the mantle. He was giving permission you, you don't know my dad, but my dad was a pretty well-known guy. He sang on every camp meeting, f- platform, led choirs at general conference, trained thousands, I don't know how many thousands, three, four hundred a year coming through the Bible school, and he's training them, and I still hear students from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, places where I go, they come up to me and say, your dad was so awesome. I had him for minor prophets at eight o'clock on a Monday morning. He was better than a triple shot espresso. (laughs) I tell you what else I always hear. He was the greatest Christian I ever knew. I tell you what else I hear. He had the sweetest spirit. And I'm going to tell you something. You don't get a sweet spirit by just tiptoeing through the tulips. The only way you get a sweet spirit is when you've been attacked and maligned and criticized and fought devils and fought battles and you keep a good spirit and you keep a sweet smelling spirit. The Bible, Paul said, thanks be to God who giveth us the victory and it has anointed us with the sweet smell of victory. Hallelujah. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fiery furnace, they didn't smell like burnt toast. They didn't smell, hallelujah, like smoke. They came out with a sweet smell of victory and that's how you get an anointing in your life as you go through some things and you take it to the Lord in prayer and you pour your tears out to him. Ha! The mantle has been passed. Now I want to say something to my generation. The elders, my generation, we must be willing to hand off Hear me. That's not easy. We got to be willing to hand off. But the next generation must get up to speed. Jalen, come here. So you get over there. All right. Now I'm going to come running by you. I can still run. And I want you to measure my speed. Okay. Don't run faster than me. Don't run slower than me. But I want you to get right after me. 
Are you ready? Listen. Stay right there. When Elijah said to Elisha, if you see me when I go. He's not just talking about when the chariot, horse of fire. Everybody sees that. All the prophets saw that. But included in the range of meaning is when you see eye to eye with me. When you catch my spirit. You're a farmer that used to plow with oxen. But I don't, Israel doesn't need a farmer now. We don't need you to think like a farmer. We don't need you to talk like a farmer. We don't need you to pray like a farmer. We need you to start acting like a prophet. Did you hear Brother Herring say that? Did you hear him say, I need to start acting. If I want to be a pastor, I need to start dressing like a pastor. I need to start acting like a pastor. Ten years ago, I used to preach a message about what we shall be. And we need to start acting like the person or the church that we want to become. And when Elijah said, if you see me when I go, he's saying, you got to see what I see or I'm not giving you the mantle. you got to start acting like I act or you're not getting the mantle. you got to start having responsibility. you got to get a prayer life. you got to start fasting and seeking God. You've got to become a man of God. We don't need a farmer in the prophet ministry. We need a man of God. Listen, you can be a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker. You can be bivocational, but if you want a mantle, you've got to pray, and you've got to fast, and you've got to consecrate, and you've got to seek God. Don't be like Israel, who watched Moses go to the tent and said, oh, that's great. He's going to the prayer meeting. Let's go to Pizza Hut. Let's go to Jack Stack. We'll let the preacher go pray. Oh, no, if you want a mantle, if you want an anointing, you've got to take the journey. You can be bivocational, but you can still you'll see eye to eye with the apostolic leadership. Now I got to catch my breath because I'm sucking air right now. Are you ready, Jalen? It's not going to be fast. You won't have any trouble. But I want you to be the judge if he matches my speed. Not faster than, not slower than. You ready? If he matches my speed, I want you to clap. Ready? Here we go. Here, here, take it, take it, take it. Now go. Same speed. Go all the way around. The mantle has been passed. The mantle has been passed. You got to pick it up. Get up to speed.